0: well. I am not Jason Witten, but uh, Jason's over in Japan and uh, you had Andy yesterday. Andy was, and the day before actually, Andy was just incredible, wasn't he? Um, learning about uh, the yield curve and uh, where bond rates are and and really the idea about inflation, I think is, um, yeah, it was, was incredible lessons. So I think we were blessed to have Andy come along and uh, tune us up as to what next for the cost of money? Um, I think there's some, some validity absolutely in where he was headed with the idea that, uh, you know, interest rates need to stay you know, at, a, at, a, at a good level of where they are right now just to make sure we put inflation back in its bottle. I don't think inflation will ever go back to the way it was at uh, sort of 1% to 2%. I think it'd be more like three to four percent moving forward, but uh, knowing that, I think we need to also make sure that we're invested because if we're uninvested, we can run into some challenges. Because obviously, you just have cash, it loses its buying power, and of course, one of the greatest hedges against uh, certainly the diminishing. Uh, return on cash is real estate. Real estate carries pricing power and pricing power assets do very well, typically uh, quite well in inflation. It's interesting, you know, obviously watching uh, interest rates climb. uh, There are marketplaces which perform very, very nicely when interest rates actually go up. We track back to the last time we had a rise in interest rates. Actually, the Perth market did very, very well uh, during an interest rate rise. But today, I thought we would uh, circle back, have a bit of a look at some factors from the other night. We looked at the Melbourne marketplace. We have a uh, charter Keck report, and uh, I think it's worth going going over. But uh, welcome aboard, everyone. Uh, We've got a few people sort of tuning in now. Donna, all good. It doesn't matter about an hour early. Uh, well, thank you, Donna. That's, that's nice. That's encouraging because, uh, yeah, this is my first go at this and I've obviously got the time zone completely wrong. I don't know about you, but I absolutely uh, hate the fact that Queensland and New South Wales have different time zones. It's annoying. Um, I feel like it's done by evil people to make us productive Um, so that uh, New South Wales people work an hour later speaking to Queenslanders and Queenslanders. um, Yeah, I'm sure there's something with the uh, GDP uh, around what that is. All right, well, I might just flick over to some slides here and we'll take a bit of a look at uh, Charter Keck's report. We'll look at some of the insights into Melbourne. Now, a few of you might have uh, come to... The uh, mentoring the other night, a couple of these slides might be familiar to you. So if you came along um, to our awesome mentoring group on Monday night, we had a bit of a sticky beak into Melbourne and um, yeah, there was some awesome, awesome insights into what's going to happen next into Melbourne. So I'll try and bring up these slides um, and yeah, we'll have a bit of a look. Future topic, rental price freeze being talked about by Polly's. What's the update? Wow, interesting, isn't it? Interesting there, Tim's put in, do you think the only way to slow down the rental market is to do a policy intervention? I've actually got some data on really where the rental market is headed. So we're going to take a look at that and potentially, Tim, you're accurate in what you're talking about. Really, is there going to be a future intervention? Because really, real estate at the moment is carrying pricing power. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, I always, always describe real estate as an a commodity whereby, It carries its own pricing power. At the end of the day, people need shelter. People need somewhere to live. So the first, uh, I guess, money that comes out of household budgets goes into real estate. So it's the first really avenue of where people have to spend their money. So it carries pricing power. And, of course, um, government wants affordability. Property investors want more rent. Um, Is there a crossroads? So uh, we'll take a little bit of a look at Chartered Keck. If you're not familiar with Chartered Keck Kramer, they are economists, town planners, uh, and really uh, what they do is look at construction data and report on it to the industry. And they are very accurate in what they put together so you can really work out what next for real estate. If you like the idea of looking At the crystal ball of real estate, if you look at some of the construction data, you can see really what's ahead of us when it comes to uh, real estate, whether there is momentum ahead or whether there is trouble ahead. So we're going to have a look at the supply and demand mismatch, but we'll start with migration and we're going to look at Victoria today. Obviously, the migration figures for Victoria were pretty weak during the COVID uh, years. Obviously, it lost people leaving the state. Traditionally, Victoria is a catchment for the creation of new people coming into the country. It's got all the best universities. So typically, it does very, very well. And you can see uh, most years prior to COVID, we were pushing anywhere from seventy-five thousand, well, fifty to hundred thousand people into Melbourne. And the interesting thing is, Melbourne is now going back to the uh, those days. It's really done a reversal as to where it was during the uh, during the COVID period. So, before COVID, everyone moved to Melbourne. After COVID, everyone's now moving back to Melbourne. A lot of that driven through overseas channels. And of course, uh, if you're going to put 75,000 new people into your population base, plus you've already got 5 million people all having babies, you're going to have a lot of new people coming into the economy. and Of course, that is absolutely putting pressure on real estate. So interesting, when we look at the growth predictors for a couple of markets, Melbourne is a bit of a standout at the moment, up there with uh, Brisbane and Perth as a place which is going to do very well out of the next couple of years. Probably doesn't feel like that right now because we're just going through a bit of a sentiment change, but the fundamentals of what is going to drive the market, more people is absolutely strong inside of Melbourne, which is uh, which is key. Uh, what we have seen, and we talked about this on Monday night, is there is absolutely a huge amount of students coming back into the Victorian economy. Uh, something like forty three thousand Indian students, thirty eight thousand. Chinese students all coming into that economy. Now, obviously, that population dynamic isn't captured as uh, new immigration. It's captured as international students. So if you can imagine immigration plus students plus natural births, you've got a huge, huge problem brewing when it comes to the Housing crisis inside of, uh, inside of certainly uh, Melbourne. Renters are really the focal point at the moment. What they can afford, where uh, they're going to live, and if we break down really renters by age group, you can see that the predominant age group that uh, is is floating around. You get. Sort of 80% of 20 to 24-year-olds are renters, uh, 25 to 29, 66%, 30 to 34, 49%, and so forth. What's interesting is people are getting older and renting for a lot longer, which of course um, is to do with a lot of the challenges around getting into the property market to begin with. So, generally, people earn more when they're sort of, you know, really from 35 onwards. And so, one really good way to make sure you're hedging against inflation is to choose real estate where typically uh, people of that age group, 35 plus, are going to want to live. And you tend to get Uh, a higher level of disposable income, a high level of income all around because of the maturity of those people in that space. So we've got a few people joined in Beck Potts. uh, Hey Beck Potts. We haven't spoken in a while. Nice to see you jump in. Uh, Yeah. If I'm catching you by surprise, I'm doing Jason's uh, wealth coffee chat today while he's over in Japan. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm an hour early. So tomorrow, tune in again. I'll be uh, re-hosting and I'll, I'll do it at the time that uh, was set normally. So in uh, Melbourne, there's Build to Rent, like there is across the country. Build to Rent, um, actually, Tim is designed to counteract the idea of government intervention. And we call the government really a command economy. So what what happens inside of real estate, there are commands created by the government and it influences the economy. One command that is unfolding inside of Australian real estate is the command to build supply of just rental properties that never get sold to the marketplace and we call that build to rent so with real estate now it's divided into two sections build to sell and build to rent and so inside of our cities they're obviously also getting both build to around rel- Build to rent and build to sell. Some say build to rent is really going to be sort of a glorified, you know, social housing so that uh, people have roofs over their head. It's not really designed to be a great living experience. And certainly when I analyze a lot of the developments which are becoming rental properties that are just build to rent, they uh, certainly don't look the goods. Certainly, from the point of view of attracting high income tenants, um, they are really just knock about properties roofs over people's heads and really interesting you know you've got sort of two rental markets at the moment you've got sort of the lifestyle renter and you've got someone who just you know is really struggling with the affordability costs of uh, of the day to day. So build-to-rent is uh, underway. There's um, some approved properties, some applications, some properties under construction. But it's certainly not uh, going to stop the rent squeeze for the time being. And uh, we're going to see rents grow and grow and grow. So uh, which leads us really to these slides and I might just see if I can shift over something here. All right. So, um let me see if my pen works. We can see here on this slide that we've got uh Melbourne's supply. Basically, Melbourne needs anywhere from 15 000 to 20,000 apartments per annum to keep up with demand. Now, in 2009, there was 1 million less people than in Melbourne today. So between 2009 and where we are today, Melbourne's gone up by 1 million people. But you can see it's gone through periods of a undersupply and periods of right supply, and now we're going into another period of undersupply. We can see that from the construction data. Really, what that teaches us is there is probably more good things ahead when it comes to real estate investment than troubled waters. So we need fifteen to 20,000 apartments, and if we look at 2023, we are... Uh, we are receiving around sort of twelve to 13,000. So a little bit under supply. Now, the devil's in the detail because when we also look at uh, the whereabouts of those properties, most of them are in the CBD. 8,000 of these are in the CBD. Now, CBDs traditionally are not very good places to invest because they, uh, you know, have uh, unlimited space in the air. And, of course, generally in Melbourne, uh, properties which are put into the CBD are designed to attract the apartment market as well. Uh, sorry, the student market as well. So, uh If we, if we actually do the maths, there's around 4,000 properties coming into the Melbourne market in 2023, which would be billed to sell like proper, uh, real estate, which is in good local suburbs, not in the CBD. And, uh, we start to see huge, huge shortage, which, uh, I think, you know, is sort of, we get, we're sort of back to where, uh. We were pre-COVID now. Now, interesting enough, I bought in Melbourne and settled just at this period here, and the reason was I was starting to see vacancy rates less than one percent inside of Melbourne, and it was a time where I thought, "Wow, this is this is starting to get away from uh, from." Uh, is starting to sort of take off. When you've got vacancy rates at, at 1%, there's a there's a housing crisis. And uh, interesting enough, by around January 2020, the property I bought in or the complex I bought in an apartment had gone up uh, 100K. Then COVID hit, like literally a couple of months later, and uh, everything sort of slowed down inside of Melbourne. Obviously, Melbourne became the, mo- the, the, the longest lockdown city, I think something like 262 days of lockdown. And so uh, things just went sideways for, for a while. We had some large vacancy, and really a lot of that was because there was no immigration into Melbourne. At the worst, uh, or at the height of the madness, we had about a 5% vacancy rate. Obviously, the board is open, students came back, and now we're back to where we were back in uh, 2019. And of course, this is a massive signal that the next part of the market is we're going to see growth, and in particular, rental growth, which we'll have a bit of a look at. So this is the challenge for the rental market, um, and we'll have a talk about uh, what, what it actually looks like. <clears throat> so we've got a few fe- people joined in. Thank you for coming along today. Sorry, I'm an hour early. Um, we'll uh, work out what to do next tomorrow, but it uh, sounds like plenty of you like the early early session, maybe because you're driving to work or, or on the train or something. Or just floating around the house. Um, okay, so Charterkeck has basically plotted the forecast of rental growth now that we're at a 1% vacancy in Melbourne. So the great undersupply, if you like, is going to result in a income increase on rental properties. So if we uh, plot where we are today... If we go back in time, actually, to the middle of COVID there, we saw a big dip in price. In 2023, we've kind of finally got ourselves back to where we were before COVID happened. So any sort of rent increase between 2022 and 2023 has kind of taken us back to where we were anyway. So it's not actually growth. It's basically a mean reversion or a, uh, you know, basically catch-up growth. However, when we look at the next phase for Melbourne, we can see a two-bedroom apartment is going to go from today being worth about $600 per week. We look at this line over to here, $600. Where does it end up in twenty twenty? 2027 well if we sort of try and carefully draw a line here and that's not carefully at all it's going to probably a bit higher than that end up at about $775 per week so according to Charter Keck a $600 per week apartment today renting for $600 a week A two bedroom is going to end up in about three to four years time at $775 per week. So a big jump, uh, a nice healthy jump. What that looks like is 10% per annum growth for the next couple of years. And of course, this is not only isolated to Melbourne, a lot of marketplaces are going to get this type of result, but... The beautiful thing is when we look at where interest rates are eventually headed, we know that uh, the banks are pricing in interest rates from about 2025 onwards, the cash rate to be closer to 3%, maybe even below that. So we know that we can sort of see over the horizon when it comes to real estate, lower interest rate, higher rent, usually that correlates also on capital growth. So we know that the capital growth market is also headed up. Probably the rock star for the next three years will be the rental growth. And after that, we'll probably start to see some more or higher levels of capital growth we look here we can see that this was the boom and we just here where things start to sort of recover so interesting times for the uh for the rental marketplace certainly as tim sort of alluded to is there going to be a rental property freeze uh i don't see that happening at this point there's certainly a lot of upside and government are trying their best to push build to rent at this point but uh, there are always always things over the horizon that we don't see but the main thing is if we look at the figures they look pretty good when it comes to what next for real estate so, guys, uh, that's it for me today. Um, thank you for tuning in bright and early. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you again tomorrow when we, when we talk some more real estate. Hopefully, those slides, which I think were quite good from the other night at mentoring, were, uh, were helpful. Definitely rental growth on the horizon, which, again, for you as a property investor, is going to help safeguard certainly the cost to operate and own real estate. The rental market's been underpriced for a while in Australia and it's really catching up on itself, which is a good thing. Generally, rents, uh, you know, go up in in line with wage growth and uh, really we probably missed out on a lot of years where the cost of wages improving were not directly put back onto the tenant marketplace and so there's a lot of catch-up going on a lot of real estate is underpriced certainly from a rental perspective in australia and uh really there is certainly pockets out there where people should be paying more rent because they're uh they're certainly not even close to rental stress at this point so, yeah, there's some upside in certainly the Melbourne rental market. Melbourne rental market is not at uh, rent stress whatsoever. And so it's got the ability to rise in value quite handsomely, which is which is good. Some markets are under rental stress, so it's very hard to put the rents up on, on someone in those marketplaces because there's just, yeah, no ability for them to pay more rent. But certainly at a macro level, that's not the case in Melbourne. All right, folks. uh, Well, you have a great day. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to uh, today's show, Wealth Coffee Chats. Um, I'm not sure I did it justice for Jason, but uh, he'll be back next week if you're a fan of Jason. And I tell you what, if you prefer uh, long-form content, today the Urban Property Investor dropped so feel free to jump over. If you want a real podcast, jump over to the uh, Urban Property Investor. Nah, just joking. All right, folks.